Micah really is Isaiah in compressed form. Micah and, and Isaiah were contemporaries. That, that means that they were living and prophesying and doing their ministries at the same time. And, and Isaiah is 66 chapters long. Micah is seven, and it's the cliff notes, if you will, some, some people say. I like that. Yeah, Micah. Short and sweet, to the point. Keep it simple. And, and the heart that Micah as a prophet has for the people is the same heart that God had for the people. You know why? Because God gave Micah his heart for the people. Just like for us, you know, for this country, for America, I love the people in this country and I want to show them that. Why? Because I'm a selfless person. Don't get to know me if you think that's true. It's because I want to love the way that Jesus loved me. I want people to experience the love of Jesus Christ the way that I've experienced it. And he's given me the capacity to go out and to love others. And, and Micah had God's heart in reaching out to these people. And it's the same throughout the whole Old Testament. Maybe a couple of you guys maybe were thinking maybe that, oh, Micah, here we go. Judgment, gloom, and doom. No, no. There's some consequences that are going to happen because of the result of some of their actions. But God is the same from Genesis to Revelation. He's a God of compassion and love and long-suffering. And we're going to see that through the book of Micah. We're going to see God's intention for a people and his willingness to pursue them and to forgive when repentance is initiated there's three things on god's part and on the people of israel's part that we're going to see in micah these these things are very clearly demonstrated in fact it doesn't take us too long to get into the book to see god's heart for the people if you're a note taker and you want to follow along by jotting a few of these down you can jot these six things down three from god's perspective and three from israel's perspective First of all, God always gives warnings. He always gives warnings. He's not the kind of guy to go ahead and backhand you afterwards, say, I told you not to do that. That's more of what I'm inclined to do. You know, I'm watching. Whack! You know better not to do that, but God is a God of warnings. He's a God of uh, being slow to punish, even sometimes slow to discipline. He's faithful to do it because he's a good father, but, he, but he's gentle in his approach, and he always gives warnings. One of my favorite verses when we talk about God warning people of things to come is in Revelation when right before the, the entire judgment on planet Earth happens, God sends an angel to fly into the midst of the heavens to proclaim the gospel one last time just in case anybody's right on the cusp of being repentant. Because God doesn't wish anybody to perish. He wishes all to come to repentance. So God is a God of of warning, and God's going to give them a warning. He was through uh, Micah, through Isaiah, through Hosea, who was also at this time period prophesying. And then the second, after God gives warning, God does discipline. Something that I've learned as a parent, having five kids, ten and under, is that I have to be consistent in my disciplinary 
actions. What that means is I can't tell my kids one thing and then do another thing because they'll think that they run the show, and they don't. If I say, hey, if you do that, you're going to be grounded, and then they do it, and they look at me, and they say, but you're so cute, and I don't really, one more chance. That's why God is a righteous God. Because he says, listen, guys, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to tell you. This is what's going to happen if you do this. And then they do it, and then he does it. Adam and Eve, you guys are super cute. You're my first babies. You can have the whole garden. But listen, if you eat from that tree, this is what's going to happen. You will surely die. And did God change his mind? Did he go back on his word? Did he say, you guys just ate one piece of fruit. So let's just say, you know, just suffer in sin for a couple decades, and then we'll go back to this perfection again. No, he didn't. God does what he says, and he, he, he means what he says. That's why he's holy. God gives warning. God disciplines. And then probably my favorite part, because I've really experienced a lot of this in my life, God restores. God may discipline Weeping may be through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Why? Because God's heart for us isn't to snuff us out, isn't to beat us down, it's to restore us. And this is what God is going to do to the nation of Israel. He wants Micah to tell them. He says, I'm going to warn you guys this is going to happen. I'm going to discipline you by allowing these things to happen, and then I'm going to restore you. Micah has one of the most beautiful descriptions of the millennial kingdom in all of Scripture. We're going to see when we get there. The, the absolute pinnacle of fulfillment, Jesus Christ ruling and reigning as king in a sinless world where we're finally going to be in our heavenly bodies and see as we're seen. Be part of what God's ultimate plan was in in the fulfillment of fellowship with him by seeing him and being part of his country in in real life then the three things that uh, from from the nation of israel's perspective if if they got asked hey what's the deal guys what's happening these are the three things that that correlate directly to god's perspective first is their sin God gives warnings. Why? Because of sin. It was their sin that needed to be addressed. They had the capacity to address it, and they did not do it. Number two, their destruction. They would be destroyed because of their sin. And they knew better. They knew better. And then three, their restoration. In God's desire to restore the nation of Israel and in God desiring to fulfill the promises that he made to Israel. They, through in spite of their sin and destruction, they would receive restoration. Charles Swindoll said this about the book of Micah. He said, much of Micah's indictment against Israel and Judah involves these nations' injustice toward the lowly. That was a big part of what's addressed here in Micah. 
It's people treating other people badly. In fact, more specifically, it's the more elite people in society trampling on, using, and abusing those underneath them. Sound familiar? I'm just saying. I don't know. Unjust business dealings, robbery, mistreatment of women and children, and a government that lived in luxury off the hard work of its nation's people. That's what was happening in the days of Micah. And God says, I I do not want this to take place. And it will not continue to take place. But notice, and, and, and many times it is like this, notice that it was the relationship that they had stepped away from with God. It was that that they were getting in trouble for too. God provided a way for them to have fellowship with him and they and they uh, as we'll see in chapter two they adulterated themselves they hoard themselves out to the other gods in the land but really a, a, a strong emphasis is, is on how the nation how the people treated each other how they took advantage of, of each other how they killed each other and right now i i just i, I think it's so timely that as every day goes by without the shootings and all this stuff going on with the election coming up, it just seems like everybody's getting so polarized. There's so many different identities that people want to hold to that, that it's not about who they are personally, but it's about who other people are and the rejection of other people and the hate and the judgment of other people. The church isn't the one judging the world. The world is judging itself. And when we bring the love of Jesus Christ into that context, they can see that we're different. They can see that we have something to offer because we're not to be like that. We're not to be like the world. Micah's message was mainly to the two capitals, Jerusalem and Samaria, who were uh, uh, Israel and Judah. Samaria was the capital of Judah. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. At this point, the kingdom had been severed into two with ten tribes in two. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem was the southern. And Micah was the only prophet in the Old Testament who was sent to both to the north and south. And he did so for 40 years. Micah prophesied these things and he was actually able to see them come to pass when the Assyrians came into northern Israel, wiped them out, took them captive, and went back to their homeland. It gives me the shivers. I don't know why. It's just freaky. Here this guy faithfully proclaiming God's word, faithfully proclaiming God's truth, faithfully warning God's faithfully disciplined, and, and the restoration comes as well. Let's begin. Micah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Jotham and Hezekiah were good kings. Ahaz was a very bad king. Ahaz was the king that set up the altars on high places to worship foreign gods. He was the guy that introduced the nation of Israel to practices as the king and said it was okay when it absolutely was not okay. 
Verse 2, hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will spill like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. First thing he says is, hear you people, listen, O earth. Uh, the, let the Lord God be a witness against you from his holy temple. God sees everything. We know that. I have to remind myself of that sometimes. I'm by myself and I want to do something stupid, you know, like pick my nose and flick it at somebody for fun. And I think nobody's going to see me. It's j- I'm sorry. It's just a. I didn't want to say anything else weird, but that was worse. Do something bad, you know, in that place where I don't think anybody else is looking at me, but God sees. And I say to myself, Tim, God sees what you're doing, man. He sees you. He's saying God is witnessing this, and he's going to be witness against you. He can see from his holy temple. Don't act like you think you can get away with this. One of my life verses, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. Listen, if you're sinning in the, in the quiet, secret place, it will be found out. It'll be found out. And then you'll be ashamed, just like the result of their shame because of their sin what, and what happened. The, the best thing to do if you're in that place, knowing God sees everything, you're not going to get away with it for very much longer, is to just stop and repent. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to keep doing this. Nobody knows except for me. But I know that you know that you're a witness against me in it. And I don't want to live like this anymore. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place when he will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys split like wax before the fire. I know exactly what this is like. Have you guys ever experienced this before? When I was growing up, my mom was a sweetheart, and she would discipline us herself. But when it got to the point when she, she said, I'm telling your father when he gets home, everything changed. Oh, no. No, please, no. I'll do anything, Mom. I'll do the dishes for a week. Just don't tell Dad. You know, we lived out in, in Pahrump and, and in the desert. You can see for miles, and we can see that yellow dump truck that he would drive because he was working. You know, he had his own business. He'd drive this yellow dump truck with a backhoe in the back, and we could see it coming for, for miles away, you know. And we were just, you know, we got home. What were we doing? We were hiding, trying to avoid Dad. And maybe she changed her mind. Maybe she does love us. She's not going to tell him. Okay, maybe it wasn't that bad. But, sorry, Dad, no offense. The mountains would melt like wax. Here's here's the revelation of God's power to a people um, that had experienced it before in a good way, you know? They had seen God work powerfully uh, through other circumstances and taking them out of Egypt and doing all those things. And, and, and that same power that God demonstrated against his enemies, we're going to get to see as well, but we just want to be like on the right side of things. You know what I'm saying? We want to make sure that we're, we're, we're reaping its benefits <laughs> and not the consequences. Because sometimes we think that God is distant or afar off, but when it comes time, there's not going to be anywhere for us to hide. 
you know, even in, also in Revelation, it says that, that when God appears, the people that are left after all the judgments, the people that are, that are left are going to cry out from the mountains that the stones would fall on them and hide them from the face of God. It's the power of God's presence. And, and some people are not looking forward to dad coming home. And some people are. Let's be those people as his church that are looking forward to his return. Not those people that are also addressed in the New Testament that it says will be ashamed at his appearing. Let us not be ashamed at his appearing. All this for the transgression of Jacob. This is the reasoning. This is the consequence. All this I have to come down from my holy habitation for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Again, like I mentioned before, the people had given themselves over to idol worship. And not just idol worship, but worshiping foreign gods. And every time we see that in the New Testament, I think it, or Old Testament, I think it's interesting that God equates that with adultery. Like you have a commitment between a husband and a wife, right? And there's a fidelity between two people and an and a, a, a understanding, confidentiality. And then when you go out and you break that covenant with your spouse, it's the same kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And what we do when we go out and we worship foreign gods or look to other things to provide for us and take care of us, it's like adultery. It's like saying we don't trust God to take care of us. He says the reason I'm coming, the reason this is happening is because of the sins of the whole nation, because of the sins of the north and the south. And we'll get more into detail in chapter 2. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. Places for planting a vineyard, I will pour down her pour down her stones into the valley, and I will uncover her foundations, and her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with fire. All with her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of, her, of a harlot, and they shall return to pay of a harlot. 200 years before this, 200 years before Micah's preaching to Samaria and to Jerusalem, the northern tribe had adopted calf worship, Baal worship, and other Canaanite, Syrian, and Assyrian idols and idol practices. God had sent Elijah, Elisha, and Amos to turn them from their idols 200 years previously. Now God is sending them more people to turn them from their idols. Tell me God is not long-suffering. There ain't no way I'm waiting 2,000 years to bring down the law on these punks who are supposed to be my kids. But God is gracious. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. And as those 200 years previously, they didn't respond very well now, and, and now he's sending more prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah, and it's time to pay the proverbial piper. It's time to suffer the consequences. Then in verse 6, it says, Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field. 
In 734 BC, which is the time when Micah was alive there, the Assyrians carried away all of north Israel, and in 721, Samaria itself became a heap. In fact, if you have anybody ever been to Israel before on a tour? Man, me neither. Oh, I don't like you guys at all. I'm just jealous, that's all. I really want to go, but, but I've heard, I didn't see it, but I've heard that you can go to this very spot and you can see the place where uh, the Assyrians came in. They overthrew the city and they took these huge boulders that were part of the foundation and they rolled them down the hill and the boulders are still sitting there today at the bottom of the hill exposing the foundation. Exactly word for word what God said would happen to them, what the consequences would be if they did not repent. Do you think that if they repented, God would have relented from judgment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at Jonah just to the left of us. Jonah is, is passionate about seeing God's wrath and fury poured out on the Ninevites. God is passionate about a people coming to repentance so they can receive restoration. That's what God's heart is. I will uncover her foundations and her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and her pay as a harlot shall be burned with a fire. All her idols I will desolate and she gathered it from the pay of a harlot and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches for her wounds are incurable. For it has come to Judah. It has come to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Now this is this is Micah saying these things, and this is how passionate and serious he is about this situation. He says, I will go stripped and naked. What does it mean when you're defeated and you go about stripped and naked? It's a it's a sign of shame. Absolute shame. Exposing your nakedness and allowing the judgment of God to come. He says, I will make wailing like a jackal. Have you guys ever heard jackals wail before? They're terrible, terrible sounds. And mourning like ostriches. What are ostriches known for when they're scared? Sticking their head in the ground. Do they really do that? I don't know. But apparently they do mourn because the Bible says so. And he says that he's going to mourn the way that the ostriches mourn, for her wounds are incurable, for it has come to Judah, it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the gem, the pride and joy of the nation. The city on a hill. The city that was supposed to be the reflection of God's glory. The people had turned it into something that was defiled. The rulers of the nation at the capital city we're now going to be held accountable. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. Now this next section from verses 10 to 15 or so, it's almost like a, like a poetry. It's like a play on words the way that he says these things. And it doesn't translate well into English, but these Hebrew words do have specific meaning so that we can understand how he's doing this wordplay when he's talking about all these places that are going to have to suffer the consequences of their actions. First, he says, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in Beth Aphra. And the reason that he says, tell it not in Gath is because Gath was a Philistine city where the Philistines lived, and there was nothing that the Philistines liked to hear more than the nation of Israel's suffering. 
And whenever they would hear anything bad happen to the nation of Israel, you know what would happen? They would celebrate. Yeah, Israel sucks. They're getting judged. They like to mock them. Remember Samson comes out with his eyes. They want to put him on display. Look at the Israelite and have a party around him. And, and the prophet Micah is saying, tell it not in Gath. Don't let the Philistines know what God has in store for us because they'll mock us and make fun of us. Weep not at all in Beth Ephrah. Ephrah means dust. It, literally, Beth Ephrah means the house of dust or dust town. And this is what he says. Tell it not in dust town. Roll yourselves in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of Shepher. Shepher means beautiful. And it means the adoration, the, the ornamentation of being beautiful and having that all stripped away. You, uh, uh, Sapphire, which is called beautiful, you'll be naked and ashamed. The inhabitants of Zanan do not go out. Zanan means to march. The marchers who are known for marching are not marching. Beth Ezel mourns. Ezel is, is leader. Beth Ezel mourns. Its place to stand is taken away from you. What are leaders known for and supposed to do? Being those who stand. Bethazel mourns, and its place to stand is taken away from you. For the inhabitants of Maroth pine for good. Maroth means bitterness. But disaster came down from the Lord. To the gate of Jerusalem, O inhabitants of Lachish. Lachish meant, means horse or horse town. O inhabitants of Lachish, harness and chariot to the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you shall give presents to Moresheth Gath. The houses of uh, Akzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Akzib means lie. The houses of lie shall be a lie to the king of Israel. I will yet bring you an heir, O inhabitants of Mereshah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Adullam is the sealed off place. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of your precious children. Still a, a, a way that the Israelites mourn today by cutting off their beards or cutting off their hair and allowing it to grow back through a period of mourning. And it is another shameful thing to do, a mourning practice. Cut off your hair because of your precious children. Speaking of the children that are going to be slain by the incoming uh, Assyrians. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, for they shall go from you into captivity. Even though the nation will be captured, consequences will be paid God's desire and his heart is for restoration. And right now, I believe, is the time for us to cry out and seek the Lord. Not just on our own behalves, not because of our own nationalities, not because of what our interests are. But in the interests of the kingdom of God being on earth as it is in heaven. Does that make sense to you guys?
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there may be times when God has to bring the consequences, but there's always a place for restoration. So this does apply to the world at large. There is some application for us. And I think the direct application for anybody who has ears to hear today is to respond to the Lord. If there's some hidden sin in your heart, if you've never made that conscious decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there are going to be consequences for living in sin, but God's heart for you is for restoration. And for me, by his grace, let's pray. God, we thank you for the prophet Micah and for his willingness to follow you even when it was difficult with invading countries and battles and internal conflict and civil war. Micah was willing to follow you in the midst of all that, not just for a year or two like Most of us can be comfortable with committing, but for 40 years, for his life, because he knew your character and he knew that somebody had to say something. Just like for us, we believe in your word, we trust your word, just like it says in Romans. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Give us the words, Lord. Give us the boldness to go out into the world and to proclaim your word so that people can come to faith and knowledge of you. Give us the wherewithal to represent you when everything else around us seems to be falling apart. We have enemies without, and it seems now we have enemies within. God, we want to be a nation and a people that is submitted to you so that we can once again taste the glory that you desire to give to us. Not our own by any means, but yours and yours alone. For you alone are worthy to be praised. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.